The following presentation is a production of Ride the Wave Media. Hey, heathens. Welcome to Vibing the Apocalypse. I'm your host, the Fresh King Benjamin, the accidental Mormon prophet. I grew up on a Mormon polygamous compound. I've escaped into the wicked world. Now I'm doing comedy. I'm hosting this podcast. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Today we're going to have possibly a little bit of a shorter episode. I'm still feeling I got whatever the whatever COVID 3.0 was. I don't know if it's actually COVID or just a gnarly chest cold that's been going around, but I, I'm just getting over that. So I'm going to record this episode and then head straight to bed. It is day 1428 of the apocalypse. How are you doing? Are you, are you surviving? Do you have your food storage? Are things working out for you? I hope they are. I'm excited for today's episode. I, I don't have a uh, guest today, so I'm going to share something from just personal for me. And this is going to be uh, sort of an introduction to something that I want to do often on this podcast. As I invite guests on, as I have people come on, I want to help. Uh, I want them to share with me different skills that they have that they think will be important in navigating this new world, this, this post-apocalyptic world and building this new world that we all get to be a part of. And that could be things like digging shelters and slaying zombies and having food storage, but it could also be other things. It could be softer skills. And today I want to talk about one of the most useful and beneficial skills that I've discovered in the wicked world and that I think is very relevant and very important for this new environment that we find ourselves in. And that is the, the magical power of setting boundaries, of using language to structure our interactions with other humans and then drawing lines in the sand and, and holding our own personal boundaries. And this became kind of a, apparent to me this week because I've, I had a number, of, a number of people reach out to me and express interest in inviting me onto their, either their YouTube channel or their podcast. I, I got a lot of invitations from a number of different people. And it made me remember the first time that that ever happened after I started sharing my story on TikTok and started to become a little more, I guess, a little more in the public eye. I got invited by an individual to come and to, 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 I got invited onto their podcast. And it, before I did it, I have a rule, right? I have a rule where before I have a conversation with someone, I like to have an informal off the record conversation to just do a vibe check, right? To just do a vibe check. Because as I've, as someone who's, who's been taken advantage of in some gnarly ways by uh, people that should have cared for me, like my parents, I've learned that it's really important for me to be in alignment with the people that I'm having conversations with. And so for me, it's really important that before I have a, like a recorded public conversation with someone, I want to have a private conversation with them to just see if they're on the same are, are they on the same wavelength as me? Is they, are they, are they, do they have similar values? What are their intentions in, in having this conversation? And uh, this first time that I had this, this opportunity, I had a conversation with this person and there was just, they were saying all of the right things, but there was just sort of something about their vibe. There was something about their energy that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. It made me feel a little bit off. And so I ended the conversation. I sat on it for a little bit. And ultimately I, I told this person, I was like, you know what? I really don't want to have, I really don't want to have a conversation with you. I think that I'm going to, I'm going to pass on this invitation. Thank you. And a couple of, a couple of weeks later, I found out that this person 
had violated the privacy of that conversation and shared it with other people publicly. And I felt really proud of myself for honoring my intentions and for using language, for using kind of a structured approach to this interaction to, to allow me time, allow me the space to get to know this person and to feel into whether or not a conversation with that person was going to be in my highest good. And that taught me a lot about the power of language and not just language, but formal like linguistic structures, like having a, a, a language process for interacting with someone that allows you to navigate the complexities of an interpersonal relationship and make sure that everything's above board. Because I think that we often, we often are programmed as, as young children, especially, especially in sort of a high demand cult background, we're programmed, but I think all children really are, we're programmed to be polite, we're programmed to be nice, we're programmed to defer to what other people want. We're told, hey, just go along. Like if someone asks you to do something, it's generally rude to not do that thing, right? If someone asks you to be, invites you onto their podcast, if someone invites you to have a conversation with, with them, it's rude to say no. And it took me a little bit of time. It took me some therapy. It took me some life experience to realize that the, the onus or the control is actually in me, right? That I get to decide what's rude and what's not rude short of like being an asshole, right? <laughs> short of that. But that it's not actually a requirement for me to say yes to everything. It's not actually a requirement for me to say yes to everything. And that I can actually use language to structure the conversation, to structure interactions with people in a way that is healthy for me. And so now I have a whole process, right? I have a whole process that I go through anytime someone's interested in having me on a podcast or inviting me into an interview or anything like that, where I will first, I have an off first, I check out their stuff, right? So I go and I see, I look at what they're creating and I get a sense for how they show up online, right? How are they showing up in their creative projects? And if I like that, if I get a good vibe from that, then I'll invite them for a, uh, like a, a private, usually a Zoom conversation is what I prefer, where we can just have a dialogue about who they are, what their values are, and, and what their motivation is, what their goal is for this conversation. And then I give myself some space. So I never say yes in that conversation. I give myself some space and I say, okay, I need to feel into this. I need to feel into this if this is right, if this is a good, a good move for me, if this aligns with what I, what I wanna do. And I'll give myself usually a day, right? I wanna be able to sleep on that. And if it feels good, then I'll proceed to the, to the conversation. And that was a big step for me, learning that not only that that was okay for me to do, but that it was, it was, that there was okay to have a sort of a structure and a process for doing that, that I didn't need to say yes immediately. Because growing up in Mormon polygamy, and I think this is true for, for a lot of people in Mormonism, I wasn't taught to have good boundaries, right? And in fact, I was taught that there were no individual boundaries that I could have that couldn't be overridden by someone else, that someone else couldn't come in and say, hey, you know what, I really need you to do this. And I was just supposed to say yes to that. Or ultimately that God might, like the eternal creator of the universe might step in and say, hey, your individual, your boundary of the thing that you will not do, we're gonna override that. And that's something that taught in a lot of religious texts. And if you think about like, just in the Bible, right? In the story of, in the story of Abraham and Isaac, which is a pretty famous story, right? It's a story of, of God essentially coming to a, a parent 
and telling that parent to kill his son as a, as a token of his righteous, as a, of his obedience to God. That's a pretty serious imposition, right? The idea that God could step into your life and tell you to do something atrocious that would make you feel so gross and so bad, but that you would have to do it in order to be obedient, I think is actually designed to prime people to have poor boundaries. Because when people have poor boundaries, it's really easy to manipulate them. It's easy to uh, get them to do things that they might not otherwise do. It's easy to control them, right? It's easy to get them locked up in doing all of the things that you want them to do to exercise power over them. And I don't know exactly what God is, but I'm pretty sure that whatever God is, God doesn't require you to kill your children. That that's a, that's a line that he wouldn't cross. And if that is what God does, maybe that God isn't worthy of worship. But the story and the way that story is used is designed to create this feeling inside of you that it's possible for you to be asked to do something that you have to say yes to that would make you feel awful. And this was actually used in Mormon polygamy quite often to manipulate the women who, who don't love this, right? They're having often an awful experience in Mormon polygamy. They're jealous, they're lonely, they're not getting the support that they need from their, from their spouse. And they're told, hey, this, all these feelings that you're feeling that this is wrong, those don't matter because the commandment overrides your individual boundaries. And so for me, it took me the better part of a decade to really start to learn how to set a boundary and then more, more fundamentally, how to value myself enough to admit or not even to admit, but to just insist that my wants were worthy of being acknowledged and met, that I got, I got to say no and not to have a reason for it. I don't have to have a reason. I just know is a complete sentence, right? And that realization came through at, at a little bit of a cost, right? Of multiple times when my boundaries were overridden. Very early in my marriage, I'm divorced now, but very early in my marriage, my ex-wife would very often, she would try to step over my boundaries a lot. And early on, I would allow that. I would kind of like, oh, well, I'm supposed to be kind. I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do what my spouse wants me to do. So I'm going to be agreeable. I'm going to let this slide. I'm just going to do what she wants me to do. And that slowly chipped away at who I was and who, what I wanted. And it slowly chipped away at my ability to be here in this world. And as I started to set boundaries, as I started to learn and, and insist on my reality that I got to be here too, that what I want matters, that my no's matter, that ultimately is some of the, some of the conflict that then ultimately led, led to our divorce. And for me, that was worth it, right? For me, I know that divorce is a touchy subject that for a lot of people, they, they may not be happy with that, with their divorces. I'm very happy with it because it came with, that was the cost that I had to pay, the price that I had to pay for my existence, and by my existence, I don't mean that like I was going to get killed or anything. What I mean is the right of Ben as, an, as a conscious entity to exist in this world and to ask for what I want and to take the things that I want 
and to do the things that I want to do, to have will and power and influence and to express the thing that's inside of me, I had to be able to set boundaries. I had to be able to say, this is a line. And if you cross that line, there will be consequences. I will do things. And that's what I ultimately learned about boundaries is that boundaries really aren't about controlling other people because you can't. There's nothing that you can do that can actually control another person. So a true boundary isn't about saying, hey, to this other person, hey, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. A true boundary deals with your individual actions, right? What you will do if your line is crossed. And I actually found a, a really a really brilliant and very helpful framework for setting boundaries. Book from my therapist, highly recommend it. It's called How to End the Drama, Stop Caretaking the Borderline or the Narcissist. It was a great, fantastic read, literally changed my life. I realized that I had all of the, all of the wonderful characteristics of, of a caretaker, which essentially means that I was attempting to manipulate through doing whatever anyone else wanted me to do, right? So the, the caretaker is the mirror side of the narcissist or borderline because the caretaker tries to get what they want. They try to manipulate relationships by doing everything that's asked of them. And that's a gross way to be, right? That's not a very, that's not a kind thing. That's not actually showing up as real and who you are. That's manipulative, right? It's just as manipulative as the uh, borderline or the narcissist. And it's something that you have to learn how to step out of, right? And it took me a number of years to really be able to wrap my head around that. But this particular framework was really useful because in order to be effective, this is the apocalyptic skill that I wanna share with, with you all today. The, the apocalyptic skill is setting boundaries. And I think that this is so important, especially in a, in a post-apocalyptic world, because so many of our social boundaries, so many of our personal boundaries, there are so many of the lines that we've drawn all throughout our society, all throughout our individual lives that are crumbling right now, because we're in this period of intense change. And so because social boundaries are being, are falling apart, governmental boundaries are falling apart, familial boundaries are falling apart. It's gonna become really, really important for each one of us to be able to be grounded in who we are, to know what it is that we want, to know what it is that we will say yes to, and to know what it is that we will say no to, and then to be able to effectively set relational, societal, and familial boundaries to get those things, get all those wants and needs met. And so this is a really magical formula that, that I learned that I'm going to just prophesy to you in this, in this episode. So in order to be effective, a boundary needs to have four things. So first is a statement of the behavior that you find inappropriate. So a boundary is given to another person. And so if you're going to set a boundary, first you need to describe to them what it is that they're doing that you find inappropriate, that you feel is crossing your line. And it's really simple. Hey, Susan, when you do blank and then describe the behavior. And then the second is a statement about how that behavior makes, me, makes you feel. So describing the behavior that they do, describing how that behavior makes you feel. And then the third part is a statement about the kind of behavior you would like to see in the future. So you're giving them an alternative. You're saying, hey, instead of doing this thing that you have been doing, what I would like to see you do is this thing. So you're describing their behavior. 
You're letting them know how that behavior makes you feel. And that part, just by the way, just as a little aside, that part, the, the feeling part to me has been really powerful because it, as a, as a caretaker, right, as someone who, who had gotten, I had been conditioned to hide his emotions and to hide how I really felt, I didn't really realize how powerful authentic displays of emotion can be. So one just quick story on that. When I was, when I was very early on in my, in my therapy journey, I, I, I had a period where I, I sat down and wrote down all of the ways that I felt like my parents had, had hurt me. And it was a very long list because there was labor trafficking, there was emotional abuse, there was physical abuse. There was like a lot of stuff that I was dealing with. And so I made this very long list and, and then I decided that I wanted to have that conversation with my parents. I wanted to tell them how I, what they had done and how it felt because I wanted them to, I, I, there was a, I wondered if, they, if anyone had ever told them that. And I had younger siblings. And so I was like, maybe if, maybe no one has ever told them that the way that they're parenting is bad, that the way that they're parenting is hurting people. And so I, I asked them for a conversation. We sat down, me and my mom and my other mom and my dad. So my dad and my two moms. And I went through, it was a really, uh, leading into that conversation, I was very anxious because I'd never really fully expressed how I felt about my childhood to them. And so I was a little bit, I didn't know how they were going to respond. I didn't know how they were going to receive it. And it felt a little bit scary. It felt very vulnerable. And so I just described everything, all those behaviors, right? I described all those behaviors that they'd done. And, and then I told them how it made me feel just very clearly. And not only did I describe, I didn't just describe it logically. I, I was feeling the emotion. So I felt really angry. And so I was, I was talking and I was like, I'm really angry. And then I'm like, and then I was really sad. And so I, you could tell that I was sad. And so I was just letting my emotions authentically pour out. And what I found is that there's, there's very little defense against an authentic, grounded display of human emotion. When we're really angry, people are wired to receive that. And that doesn't mean that always happens, but often there's no defense against that because you can't defend, you can't say, I guess you could, some people would deny how other people feel, but there's something really powerful when someone says, this is how I feel, and you really feel it, and you really share it. And what ultimately happened in that conversation is that my parents didn't deny anything, they didn't try to justify, and they, all three of them, apologized. And that was a first step towards, in a very long journey that's still not complete, of healing between the parents and the children in my family. And that journey is by no means over, we're still in the middle of it, but that authentic, that me willing to authentically share how I felt, it, it put them in a position where they had to, they caved. They had to acknowledge and had to, had to fall uh, beneath the weight of that. So that's why that step is really important. So step number one, describe the behavior that you find inappropriate. Step number two, describe how that behavior made you feel. Step number three, Describe the kind of behavior you would like to see in the future. And then step number four is where, where the boundary comes in. Step number four is a statement about what you will do if your request is not honored. So what will you do if they don't, if they continue to do behavior one 
and they don't engage in behavior three. So altogether, it can look something like this. This is an example that I shared with someone who was having a really hard time because their grandmother kept texting them. They'd, they'd left the, the LDS church and their grandmother kept texting them about uh, Mormonism. And it was like, they were like, I can't handle my grandma texting me about this anymore. So in that scenario, this is what a, a really strong boundary would look like. Grandma, when you text me about keeping the commandments, right, the behavior, it makes me feel disrespected and upset, the feeling. In the future, I would like for you to simply express your love and care for me without referencing religious beliefs I don't share, or I will stop responding to your texts. What are they doing? The behavior, statement about the behavior, statement about your feelings, statement about what you would like them like to see them do in the future, and then a statement about what you will do if you don't get that, right? And that frames it up very nicely because you're not trying to control them. You're not telling them what they have to do. You're telling them what you will do if they don't treat you with the respect that you deserve. And the key after setting a boundary is to not argue about a boundary. If they're like, well, let's talk about it. No, just repeat it. If they continue to push, then you set a boundary about what you'll do if they continue to disrespect your boundaries, right? And the thing that I really had to learn, and I, I love this because this, this really came to me in my, in my therapist, and like in, in therapy, my therapist said this, I was talking about one of the ways in which my ex-wife was violating my boundaries. And it was really frustrating me. I was really upset. And my therapist mirrored back to me and she just said, how rude of her to do that. And something clicked for me and I was like, oh my God. You're right. Disrespecting another adult's boundaries is incredibly rude. That's an incredibly rude thing to do. Kind, attentive, attuned adults who care about people who are around them don't violate other people's boundaries, even if those boundaries don't make sense to them. They honor and respect people's boundaries. And so if you set a boundary with someone and they violate that boundary, you have every right to feel insulted, to feel disrespected, to feel angry. Because anger is the boundary emotion, right? That's why we have, that's the growl, right? That's our, that's our growl. If you've ever like stepped on a cat's tail and they're like, <sighs> right? That's them expressing this anger boundary that basically says, back the fuck off or I'll claw your face off. And we've become so polite as humans that we've stepped away from that. We've kind of like, we've villainized anger. And anger is actually vital. It's a vital part of our system because it's the part of us that says, hey, I'm here, I deserve to be here. And if you're gonna cross this line, I will fuck you up. Don't. Don't do that. And if anyone steps over that line once you've said it, once you've drawn that line and said, once you've set a boundary, if someone steps across that line, you aren't the problem. They are. They are being rude, insulting, and disrespectful. And that's an important lesson to learn because as a human, as an adult human, or as even as a child human, right? As a human being on this earth, you have every right to insist on your boundaries, on your, on your, the edges of your being, right? Your body, your physical body, your emotional body, the edges of your being, you get to maintain those edges. 
however far out you need them to be. You get to do that because you deserve to be here. You deserve to be here and you deserve to be respected. You deserve to be treated with kindness. You deserve to be listened to. And especially if you've grown up in a, in a, in a, in a cult or in an, or in an abusive family system, it might not feel that way all the time. You might feel like you always have to cater to what other people want. And if other people violate your boundaries, you might feel like, oh, well, I have to, I have to like, I have to make space for that. I have to allow them to do that. No, you don't. No one has the right to violate your boundaries, whatever they are. You don't have to have a reason for boundaries. You don't ever have to have a reason for saying no. No is a complete sentence. That's the whole idea. That was a really valuable lesson for me. That was a really valuable skill. And it took me the better part of a decade to really, to really learn that and then to feel, to feel that grounded in my body. So that is our apocalyptic skill for today, for vibing the apocalypse. And I think that it's going to be, I think it's important because I think that the more crazy the world gets, especially as we move into this wild election year, it's going to be really, really important for us to do two things. Number one, it's going to be really important for us to speak our boundaries into existence, to do the work of understanding where our boundaries actually are and then speak them into existence. And then number two, it's going to be really important for us to listen to and to honor and respect the boundaries of other people. Because other people are going to have boundaries that we may not agree with, that we may not feel are necessary, that we may feel like are maybe, maybe we don't want to do that, right? But as we tumble into this chaotic year, it's going to be really important for us to insist that we are treated with respect and then to give that respect to our fellow humans. Because we're all here. We're all here on Turtle Island. We're all here trying to make the best of this chaotic apocalypse that we're in. And we all deserve to be here. We all deserve to be here and we all deserve to be respected and cared for and loved. So you heard it here first. Well, you probably didn't hear it here first, but that's my, that's my little prophecy on boundaries. Couple things before I wrap up, just so I wanna repeat those four steps for you in case that's helpful. Number one, a statement about the behavior that you feel is inappropriate. Number two, a statement about how that behavior makes you feel. Number three, a statement about the kind of behavior you'd like to see in the future. And then number four, a statement about what you will do if your request is not honored. That's how you set really powerful, really, really intentional boundaries in this apocalyptic world. As always, if you are, if you're new here, welcome. You can follow me on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube at The Fresh King Benjamin. And then remember that I've got a comedy show coming up on the 25th of February in at Wise Guys at the Downtown Salt Lake. The last one sold out. This, this one will too. So get your tickets at wiseguyscomedy.com and we'll see you at the show and we'll talk to you guys next week. Happy Apocalypse.